may be seated. It's lovely to see each of you this morning. A warm welcome to you all, especially um, good to see those of you who are with us for the first time. Some of you are my friends. Um, Brian, it's so good to see you this morning. Susan, it's wonderful to see you this morning. Um, and um, I want you to pray for, for, for these friends. I, I spoke with Susan and asked if it was okay. I'm sure Brian won't mind. Um, but um, Susan shared with me at the beginning of the service that she feels like checking out today. That, um, that she's, um, um, yeah, she's not well, she's, she's sad. And she was in tears. Um, she was here half an hour before the service. For the doors even opened, trying to get in because she she needed um, refuge. She needed, um, as she put it to me, she she needed resurrection. She's alive, but she felt dead in her soul. And um, I've, I've met Susan several weeks ago. We um, uh, though we've just gotten to know each other. I do count you a friend, and we will pray for you. If you listen to this message, you will hear a message of resurrection. And if you respond to it, He will raise you in the depths of your soul. Brian, my friend, we've, we've known each other for a year now, and we've, I feel like I've walked through some difficult times with you, um, dark times, and it wasn't that long ago you were this close to being not long for this world, it seemed. And, um, and yet here you are, and um, it's, a joy to, it's a joy to have you with us this morning. May God raise you, and indeed all of you, friends, brothers, sisters, um, in your spirits today, uh, according to the power of the risen Christ. Locate in your Bibles Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, and the 28th chapter. Matthew chapter 28, verses 1, and I'm going to read to verse 20. kind of sets you up for an Easter Sunday service, a bit weird when, when um, you're, you're, you're so intensely aware of um, the, the sorrow, the suffering of people who um, are, are, are downcast, are brokenhearted, feel suicidal, or feel like they themselves physically are at death's door. And um, um, if that is, uh, as I've already said, it's some of you, um, especially those I've, um, uh, who are here as um, guests, uh, that I've invited friends, um, it, it's rough. I know it's rough. There is nothing greater, there is no power on earth that is greater than that of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And so if you listen to these words, just the scripture that I've read, I hope that you will take hope. But then as you listen to the explanation, I hope that you'll know the salvation of Jesus today. Let's read Matthew 28. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for He has risen. As He said, Come, see the place where He lay. Then go quickly and tell His disciples that He has risen from the dead. And behold, He is going before you to Galilee. There you will see Him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell His disciples. And behold, Jesus met 
them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet, and they worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people, His disciples came by night and stole Him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold... I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would bless the proclamation of your word this morning, the proclamation of good news. Lord, forgive us, for we are undeserving of this good news. We are undeserving of, of the revelation of your love in the person and work of Jesus Christ. We are unworthy recipients who have sinned and fallen short of your glory. Lord, I pray that in your mercy and grace you would draw near to us today in your kindness, with the power of your Holy Spirit, teaching us and training us, we who believe, to walk the paths of righteousness more faithfully, less fearfully. And I pray, Father, for those who are um, um, not yet professing faith in Christ, Lord, I pray that not by any argument that I give, but simply by the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, you would persuade them of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. For we must believe that He is dead and that He has risen if we would be saved. We must proclaim with our mouths and believe in our hearts that You have raised Him from the dead. So help us, each of us, to join in this proclamation. In Jesus' name, amen. Folded the grave clothes, a song we sang just a moment ago. Tomb filled with light as the angel proclaims, Christ is risen. They arrived at the tomb that morning to see it empty. The stone was rolled away. The clothes with which Jesus had been tightly wrapped, folded neatly and laying to the side. Grave clothes were, were not the sort of thing that someone could generally um, um, unwrap themselves. Uh, someone else would have had to do it, they reasoned. Someone must have taken the body. That is the response the disciples first had when they saw the empty tomb. And it was also the story that was circulated, as Matthew himself relates, although um, uh, in a somewhat of a plot twist, they blame the disciples. The disciples blame someone else, and the Jews blame the disciples, and so everyone's blaming the other. But one thing they are agreed on, the empty tomb represents a theft, not a miracle. And yet... 
today we proclaim that Jesus Christ is risen. At the center of the Christian faith is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The cross is important. Of course, the cross is that which has passed down through two millennia as the enduring symbol of our faith. But the cross has no lasting meaning or significance or power apart from the resurrection. Unless it is a cautionary tale of injustice against a misunderstood man. Or perhaps it is a nihilistic commentary on the inevitable failure of trying to make a difference in our broken world. The efficacy of the cross, the power of the cross, is seen in the emptiness of the tomb. If you don't have an empty tomb, all you have is a symbol of suffering and torture, a memorial to injustice. But when you have an empty tomb, it takes on a different meaning. When you have an empty tomb, Jesus' death can only be good news. Because the empty tomb, properly understood, announces and proclaims Jesus Christ is risen. In our text this morning, there are two narratives. One alleges essentially that the resurrection is man's prank. The other narrative says it is God's power. And that is the question I want to put to you today. What, what do you believe? Do you believe that the empty tomb communicates a story of man's prank, or that it communicates a story of God's power. Something very important to note at the outset. The tomb being emptied of Jesus' body is not in question, either by Jesus' friends or His enemies. The tomb is empty. Even atheist scholars today do not deny that the tomb was empty. The question is not whether Jesus' lifeless body could be found. It is abundantly clear that it could not be found. The question is where could it be found? And how did it go missing? What became of the body of Jesus Christ? Uh, either He was relocated or He is risen. Those are your options this morning. Let's start with considering thoroughly whether this was man's prank. This line of thought suggests that Jesus did die and He was buried, but someone came and took His body away. Read verse 11 with me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, of course, this is a very embarrassing thing. And they have to find some way of covering all of this up and answering all of this. The elders, having assembled and taken counsel, pay a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers. And with that hush money, they, they tell the soldiers... Tell people His disciples came by night and sold Him away while we were asleep. Now, and that's, that's, a, that's a difficult thing for a soldier to say because it affects their reputation. Soldiers that are hired to guard a tomb and they've fallen asleep. They have to admit that they have been in dereliction of their duty. And, and by being in dereliction of their duty... Uh, no one's going to want to hire them anymore. But with the right sum of money, and I imagine it was a fairly generous sum, they would say anything. The body of Jesus was stolen. The story, we're told, was circulated um, uh, even to the governor. 
If the, this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. That is, um, if he finds out that my men were asleep on the watch, we'll keep you out of trouble. We'll satisfy him. That's what that's about. So every base is covered. You're paid. You're compensated to um, break all oaths and vows that you as soldiers of the empire have made. And, and, and you're allowed to be dishonest. You're allowed to totally change the narrative. And you're able to do so in a way that looks bad on you, but you can do so safely without getting into too much trouble. And all for a sum of money. So they took the money. They did as they were directed. And we're told this story has circulated among the Jews to this day. Of course, that's decades, uh, just a few decades after the, the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. But this story is still circulated today. There are still people who believe that the body of Jesus was stolen from the tomb. Here's the thing, though. Jesus' disciples have nothing to gain from such a prank. The Gospel account does not at all portray their response positively. In fact, if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four different people, one of whom is actually researching and, and, and taking on the narratives of a lot of people, that's Luke. Mark is listening to someone else, likely Peter, tell his account. And you're bringing it all together. They all remember the events in a very chaotic way. There are certain things that are more predominant in their minds, in their, in their perception. They can be harmonized, but if you, it, it, you'll, you'll spend hours reading them, trying to figure out where this happened, when this took place, how all of this fit together. Because total madness ensued with the disciples of Christ. When Jesus was crucified, in fact, before He was crucified, when He was betrayed, remember, they ran. The adrenaline was pumping. Their hearts were pounding. They were breaking into cold sweats. They were wheezing. Peter eventually summoned up the courage to hood up and, and sort of hang out in the, um, in the courtyard listening in. And he gets increasingly aggressive in his denials that he knows Jesus to the point the last... The last scene we see is he's swearing at them and saying he doesn't know. Even when all of the evidence says otherwise. The days surrounding Jesus' death and then the days following were days of utter chaos. But when the tomb is discovered empty, more chaos ensues. People are running all over the place, it, it, you know, it, it, trying to figure out, trying to look into the tomb, trying to find what might have gone wrong, what might have happened. They're not portrayed in a positive light. They have nothing to gain from this sort of theft of the body of Christ. There are multiple, if you take the different accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there are multiple overlapping visits to the tomb by whole groups of disciples, especially women, unbelieving disciples who don't think He's really risen, and individuals. And in the midst of all of this chaos, confusion ensues. From the other Gospel accounts, we know that Mary Magdalene does not linger. She looks and she sees the stone rolled away and the guard gone. And John's Gospel says she ran. All she saw is the tomb, the stone rolled away, and she runs. She runs to tell Peter and John who are in Jerusalem. She says they have taken... This is what one of Jesus' disciples said. They have taken away my Lord. And I do not know where they have laid Him. Each gospel account read on its own, simplistically as though it is chronologically complete, will not adequately convey the chaos, confusion, the grief, and then finally the joy that followed. If you read each of them together, you study them to create a harmonious chronology of events, you'll see the raw realism of those hours that followed, the disorder among Jesus' closest friends and enemies. If this were a self-serving prank, 
fashioned perhaps to bolster the image of Jesus' disciples, they would be portrayed far more positively. You're not going to tell yourself, tell others a story to market yourself that makes you look bad, that makes you look trustworthy. It doesn't work like that. The story would have been dressed up. They would have not only seen the risen Jesus, but they would have seen the resurrection itself and they would have believed immediately if this is just something that they've come up with for their own self-serving purposes. Women, especially emotional, potentially hysterical, weeping women, would in that time be found nowhere near such stories. Their testimony in those days was considered so worthless as to be nigh on inadmissible in court. Now, if any ladies are offended by that, I'm talking about that time, right? Throughout Jesus' life and ministry, some of His most devout, close following, serving disciples were women. In the days of the early church, we have several notes throughout the book of Acts that that influential members of the churches, particularly those who sacrificially gave and bankrolled the early church movement, were wealthy women, women like Lydia, merchants. So what we see in this story is an elevation of women to a, a, a status where, where they actually are equal, where they are believed, where their testimony is worth something. But it wasn't worth something at that time in the wider culture. Not recognizing that, you'll, you'll lose something that's really, really an important detail. If this is a prank, it's certainly badly ex executed. If this is a publicity drive for a self-serving religious cult, it could not be more poorly put together. Now, there are other hypotheses that people over the centuries have proposed, but I told you that there's only two that work. Either it is man's prank or it is God's power. The reason I've disregarded the others is because they are so easily discreditable. Some say that the disciples were hallucinating. If so, that makes no sense of the empty tomb. The flesh and blood reality that the disciples testified to, the 40 days prolonged experience of hallucination, or the mass numbers who would have had to share simultaneously in this hallucination. The possibility that hundreds of grief-stricken disciples were hallucinating simultaneously is not considered by Jesus' enemies in this passage. Mere hallucination would have been easy to prove by a simple visit to the tomb. They knew where the tomb was. This is something people came up with in like the 19th century, long after people had forgotten the actual location of Jesus' burial. Let's not be arrogant and proud and think that like three days later, they suddenly forgot where to find the body if they needed to. They weren't the, the, Jesus' enemies. They say the tomb is empty. It's been stolen. Jesus' disciples say the tomb is empty. The body has been stolen. That was their first reaction. Some say that Jesus was not actually dead. But the torture of flogging, beating, cross-bearing crucifixion did not produce half-dead people who after days untreated in a cold tomb with no food or water, suddenly were restored to full health, walking about the countryside. The idea that Jesus was not dead is not entertained by Jesus' enemies. He was buried. He was put in the tomb. The tomb is empty. Some say, grasping quite desperately, that they went to the wrong tomb. 
Now that idea is so childishly simplistic as to be absurd. What, what of the testimony of the soldiers? The rumor circulated by the priests. And again, the personal experiences over 40 days that followed by individuals, by couples, by large groups of hundreds of people in mass, experiences of the risen Lord Jesus. Did everyone, including Jesus' enemies, get the location of the tomb wrong? Did they assign a guard to a tomb that was already empty? And the guards are just sort of standing around, and then, the, you know, it's nighttime. They're standing there for like three days, and then suddenly, one morning, they decide to take a peek in, and oh, the tomb is empty. That's, that's a bit embarrassing. And then the disciples get there, and oh, we're at the wrong, they're, they're at the wrong, it doesn't work. It's desperation that is driving someone's uh, unbelief, or is driven by unbelief. Outside of these atheistic proposals are other theistic proposals, but nonetheless outside the boundaries of essential biblical belief in Christian orthodoxy. For example, the Islamic scholars present at least three different beliefs about Isa. But in none of them, note this, in none of them, does Jesus experience literal, bodily, personal death, burial, and resurrection? Surah 4, for example, in the Quran, denies that Jesus was killed and that He was crucified. It teaches that He was simply brought to heaven. Other organizations, the Jehovah's Witnesses, for example, they're now to be seen outside every major transportation hub in the, in the city and across our high roads. They deny the, the resurrection of Jesus as depicted in Scripture. Now to be sure, I, I, I've sat and for weeks I've studied with Jehovah's Witnesses to learn what they believe, what they teach. I don't encourage you to do the same, but I did. I've read their literature. And um, they talk about resurrection but they mean something very different. One article entitled, The Resurrection of Jesus Christ, Did It Really Happen? repeatedly affirms the biblical belief that Christ is risen, or rather the biblical statement. But what do they mean when they say Christ is risen? They do not mean what I mean, and they don't mean what I hope you mean. When you say Christ the Lord is risen today, Hallelujah. In another uh, tract of the Jehovah's Witnesses, you can live forever on paradise earth. They claim that Jesus did not rise from the dead bodily, physically, in the same body He died in, but rather His resurrection was spiritual and merely projected various forms of Himself. That's not what Scripture teaches. It teaches that while Jesus did rise spiritually, he, did, he, he also rose physically. So physically that He could eat and He could drink. So physically that you could put your finger in the holes in His wrists and your hand in His side. Jesus is risen indeed. Both the Islamic and the Jehovah's Witness understandings of resurrection are rooted in ancient heresies like Gnosticism. But neither of them can conceive of a literally risen Jesus. A, 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 a Jesus who is raised bodily because the body is inferior. But they, they don't see that, that Jesus came to, to heal what is broken. To take what has been defiled and to consecrate it. To sanctify it. To wash it. And so Jesus came in human flesh, and He stays in human flesh. He is risen bodily. And again, the tomb is empty. One does not have a dead Jesus to raise. One does not see why Jesus would retain His human body. But the Jesus of the Bible gives us a Jesus who is risen indeed. 
Spiritually, yes, but more physically. Physically, yes, but more spiritually. And so the risen Jesus is risen in his totality to redeem us, to save us, to redeem humanity right down to the very flesh of its being to the glory of God. So that, that we, I, I sometimes hear people talk about their body as a prison. Maybe if you're not in Christ. But God made your body. God gave you skin and bone and blood and flesh and sinews. You're not a prison. You're a holistic entity. Body, soul, spirit, mind, all of this stuff going on, however you want to list it. Even Scripture orders it differently at different times. But all of you, Jesus became like all of you to bring you, all of you, to God. And one day to raise all of you to be with Him forever. The only biblical alternative to the empty tomb being man's prank is that it was in fact God's power. The text before us says, the disciples, we don't know where He is. They've taken His body. The enemies of Jesus, the Jews, the Romans, they've taken the body. Everyone has agreed that the tomb is empty. But we've, I, I've tried to provide biblical and logical reasons for why that doesn't work. So we're left with one option. God's power. There are only these two options. The body was stolen or Jesus is risen. To say that Jesus' body was stolen defies evidence. To say that Jesus is risen defies experience. And this is the very essence of faith, is it not? The conviction and assurance of things that are out of our sight and beyond the rational comprehension of our mind, but to which all of the evidence nevertheless points. Doesn't matter whether you've seen anything like it before. Doesn't matter whether this is common to, that's the whole point. It's not common to our human experience. But Jesus is not, while he's just like us, he's not just like us. He's fully man and he's fully God. He, he, he was tempted in every way as we are, but without sin. The wages of sin is death. How can a sinless man be held by the grave? The grave couldn't stomach Jesus. It vomited him out. Jesus is alive. I must declare in the strongest possible terms that Jesus is literally bodily risen from the dead according to the power of the triune God. I don't understand it. I can't explain all the ins and outs of it. But I believe it. And I don't even believe it blindly. I believe it because that's where everything points. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have raised Him to life. Ours is therefore the message of Peter on the day of Pentecost. God raised Him up, having released Him from the pains of death because it was not possible for Him to be held in its power. Ours is also the message of Paul in his letter to the Romans that Jesus was, quote, declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. Ours is the message of Jesus Himself. This is why the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it back again. No one takes it away from me, but I lay it down of my own free will. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it back again. Jesus is risen according to the power of God. So it doesn't matter 
to the gospel writers in a sexist, discriminatory time whether the witnesses were men or women. If the first witnesses and the first proclaimers of the gospel message were women, if the first, technically speaking, evangelists of the church were women, it doesn't matter. Because Jesus is risen. It doesn't matter if those closest to Jesus are portrayed in somewhat of a negative light in the lead up to the crucifixion. And as they grapple with the news of the resurrection. Because it's not about them. It never was. It's all about Jesus and who He is and what He's like and what He has done and why He's done it and what that means for us and what that means for a world that is lost separated from right relationship with God and destined apart from the grace of God in Jesus Christ to an eternity of His justice in hell. It doesn't matter in an age of Greco-Roman, anti-supernatural, philosophical enlightenment or indeed in our own age of skepticism if supernatural earthquakes, angelic beings and the resurrection are outside our experience. If that's outside your experience, if that's outside our, it doesn't matter. That's not the point. The point is that Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed. So, so it, it, it's only natural that our natural initial response would be one of confusion, of chaos, of disbelief, and even of lingering doubt. Your response may be that this morning very much what the disciples was. The people who followed Jesus most closely. The people who knew Jesus best. The text says, verse 17, when they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some doubted. Followers of Jesus, Christians, this morning, maybe you doubt in some way. Maybe. I, I, I'm not going to project that onto you. Maybe you doubt from time to time. Maybe you wonder, is Jesus really risen? And I know some of you are, don't, don't profess to be followers of Jesus yet. Maybe the thing that you're struggling with is this is so far out of your experience. This is so far out of what is normal, what is expected, what is... It, it's just not... It's not something people believe in. I will say that your worldview is very limited because the majority of people in this world do believe in supernatural things, unlike you. Um, you, you, you may live in a bubble of sort of um, secular... British Western Enlightenment, but um, um, for all of the world's history, people have believed in these things. To this day, around the world, more people believe in these things than don't. All I can say is take faith. The assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. The options are, the tomb, the tomb is empty. The options are, the body is stolen. Or Jesus is risen. Now you can go away today and say that the, the I, I believe that the body was stolen. I've confronted you with, I think, good reason to reject that. It doesn't make sense. We can still be friends, but I'm going to keep after you on that because I believe that Jesus is risen. I got the thumbs up from Brian. I'm going to keep after you, mate. We're going, we're going to meet up and we're... we're, we're... Praise God. You believe He is risen. He's risen by the power of God. I remember you told me, my friend, that you believe in Jesus, but you're not so sure you believe in God. Um, Amen. Praise, praise God. Praise God. We, we, he is risen. God is saving people to this, to this moment. It, it, it's only natural that, that, that we as fallen sinful human people would, 
would, would, would have moments of question, of doubting, but when the truth is presented before us, when, when the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life comes, comes before us and we see that, 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 that He is raised, He is alive, and we see His power in our life, how can we say He's, he, he's stolen? How can we say this is man's prank? How can we say this is all lies? It is the only explanation, the only explanation for the sudden courage and boldness of terrified disciples up to this point. Their steadfastness for decades and centuries of violent persecution. Their explosive growth in mere decades, not even decades, years, days, months. The conversion even of arch enemies of Christianity like the Apostle Paul who, who was breathing out anger and aggression, threatenings and slaughter, stoning one of the first deacons in the early church. Imagine that. If it, just modernize it a bit. And a, a, a mob forms in this building and Michael is preaching and Michael's cast out into the street and great blocks of masonry are hurled at his head and his body and he dies and blood's pouring down park ridings and, and, and there's a man that's sort of sneering on at the sidelines watching people's coats so they don't get splattered with blood and dust and that man walks in a year later not even a year later walks in and says he believes in Jesus Jesus is risen and that man, some decades later, has the audacity to stand before Peter who saw his Lord crucified and withstand him to his face because of his prejudice. That man becomes the leading missionary of the early church, taking the gospel all over the, the, the parts of, there of, of um, uh, the Near Eastern Asia and uh, Europe with disciples spreading into Africa. The Apostle Paul hated Jesus, hated the church. And he says, Jesus appeared to the disciples. He appeared to the twelve. He appeared to groups of people. And then, as to one untimely born, Jesus has already ascended into heaven. But Jesus came back. For one man. One more, one more appearance. The Apostle Paul, as to one untimely born, last of all, he appeared also to me, who am the least of all apostles. What's amazing. The resurrection says, no, it triumphantly shouts to those who believe who follow the way of Jesus, don't be afraid. That's what the text says. Jesus said to them, verse 10, do not be afraid. And if there's a time we need to hear that message, it is now, these days, this time. Do not be afraid. Why do you not need to be afraid? Do not be afraid. Because if you're trusting in Jesus, you will see Jesus. Do not be afraid because you needn't fear the judgment of God. Because the judgment of God has been satisfied by Jesus on the cross. He paid your debt. Yes, you had debts. You had debts that you could never repay. Jesus paid them for you. And He forgives you if you trust in Him. You don't have to be afraid. Do not be afraid because Jesus is king. Jesus is king over all. Yes, even over death, the grave, and hell itself. He has conquered all things. He says in his last speech to his disciples, all authority. Not some authority. All authority. Not, not, not uh, you know, a, a little more than I had last time. All authority. All authority, not, not all authority on earth. All authority in heaven and on earth. 
Not just all authority in heaven as though he's distant and abstract and removed from us, but all authority in heaven and on earth. And we're told elsewhere in Scripture that Jesus Christ, He is Lord, yes, in heaven and things on earth and things under the earth. Everything, all of the cosmos, all of the universe, every layer, however you divide it up, whatever your view of the world and the universe and cosmology is concerned, one thing's not going to change. Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You are right to be afraid if you do not recognize Jesus as your King. You are right to be afraid if you do not give Jesus your allegiance. You are right to be afraid if you do not trust in Him. But if you trust in Him, He welcomes you as blessed citizens of His, His kingdom. Do not be afraid because Jesus is with you always if you trust in Him. Susan, don't check out just yet. Don't do anything foolish later today. Because if you're trusting in Jesus, He's with you. Brian, when it gets a bit too much in the flat, and you feel the walls are closing in, and your mood has swung very deeply to the, the darkest of places, don't, don't give up. Jesus is with you. Richard, when... when, when those voices that you hate so much are communicating to you violent thoughts that you hate, that you despise, because you know Jesus hates them. There is a louder voice that speaks, and that is the voice of Jesus. Do not be afraid. There is no darkness deep enough that Jesus cannot see and know. There is no problem that is beyond the power of Jesus. Wherever your journey takes you, He is with you to the ends of the earth. Whatever the span of your life, He's sticking around to the end of the age. He'll be here long after you're gone. Trust in Him. All time and all space is encompassed by Him in sovereign omnipresence. He is everywhere. He's even with you. Jesus lives and so shall I. Death, thy sting is gone forever. He who deigned for me to die lives the bands of death to sever. He shall raise me with the just, Jesus is my hope and trust. He shall raise me with the just. Jesus lives and reigns supreme. And His kingdom still remaining, I shall also be with Him. Ever living, ever reigning. God has promised, be it must, Jesus is my hope and trust. God has promised, be it must, the weak He raises from the dead. Jesus is my hope and trust, the weak He raises from the dust. The weak He raises from the dust. Jesus lives and death is now, but my entrance into glory. Courage then, my soul, for thou hast a crown of life before thee. Thou shalt find thy hopes were just. Jesus is the Christian's trust. Thou shalt find thy hopes were just. Thou shalt find thy hopes were just. It's trustworthy. It's true. It's righteous. It's fair. It's good. He gave his life so that if we believe in him, we might not perish, but have everlasting life. And we who live as the walking dead, we who wander through this life feeling as though we're not alive, He breathes into us the breath of life by the power of His Holy Spirit. Don't give up. Don't be afraid. Go out and tell. 
Go out and proclaim the beauties and the excellencies of Jesus Christ. The tomb is empty. It's not man's prank. It's God's power. And if it's God's power, the power of God compels you to go and tell the good news of Jesus. And if you, if you don't feel up for telling it yet, maybe it's time for you to believe it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would, you would show your mighty hand this morning in the salvation of lost sinners, broken and defeated by sin, facing the wages of a living death even now. So much decay, so much dis distur d depression, disturbances, all just living death all around us. I thank you, Lord, for the proclamation of the disciples, Jesus is risen. For the message of the angels, Jesus is risen. And for the cry that has passed down through millennia, Jesus is risen. People facing death with courage because Jesus is risen. Right up to the testimony of my friend Brian just a moment ago. I believe that Jesus is risen. You tell us in your word that the one who believes and the one who declares is saved. May it be so today, Lord God. Save people by the truth of Jesus Christ. Bring us out of our, our death. Raise us to newness of life. Take the broken pieces and put them together into something far more beautiful. Please, God, help us to not only believe, but to proclaim and to live lives of fearless faith. In Jesus' name, amen.